Hello, and welcome to the Strength to be Human podcast with your host, author and playwright Mark Anthony Rossi. This show explores all forms of creativity for those searching for meaning and a place in the world. To err is human, but so is to love. Now, without further ado, here's your host. folks welcome back to strength to be human i'm your host mark anthony rossi poet playwright and of course the host of this show this is going to be episode 102 emotional turbulence in the writing process uh, it's one of those uh, shows that I, I i've noticed around uh, probably in the last few months uh, that i needed to talk about also i got a few people that did ask about you know if we can touch upon this subject um, I'm not really sure if I'm going to be granting all the wishes on it because I, I find the emotion where it concerns writing um, sometimes simply to be too much. And and to me, it's a lot like uh, my view on alcohol. It's great in moderation. So I, I feel the same way with, with, with emotion because sometimes folks, they run away with it. They wind up getting drunk with it. And, and next thing you know, you know, we're, we're reliving with them, you know, every uh, childhood slight. Uh, for the past 78 years or something and that that stops becoming writing or uh, poetry or even art it just just becomes you know either um, some sort of uh, you know pseudo propaganda or just some kind of emotional screech that you know we don't really need to hear and and, and, you, and you really step in away and write off the reservation of writing and and art and onto some other some other plane of existence that doesn't really help uh, writing in general so we're going to talk about this uh, in a number of, uh, I guess you could say, um, uh, subjects within it. Uh, um, there's different various um, forms of emotion in writing and, and how they work and how they you know, don't work. And maybe this will help clarify things for people and they can sort of try to find a, a balance. Because I'm not saying that it's not important to have emotion in writing. It's just that... It, it, it needs to be an element. It really shouldn't be something that is 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 all. It's the center of, of your writing is, you know, this is what I felt today or, you know, this is the dream I had and, and how anguished I was. We're all going to have those once in a while, okay? And and that's all, all of that is, is acceptable. But, you know, if you're putting out 58 pieces that year and every one of them is about something like that, and then it just, not only does it become old, you, you just lose any, any, any focus of art. I mean, where is your, your organization and where is your discipline? And these are the two things we're going to talk about because these are also critical elements to writing that sort of counterbalance sometimes our, uh, our emotion or even our, our passion because those things can, can let loose and then we don't seem to know how to rein them in. And like I said, then then suddenly you, you don't you don't have anything that makes makes it makes any sense anymore. It, it's just uh, like a you know a diary letter to yourself or something. But you know if you want an audience or if you're trying to speak to an audience, you're gonna have to do more than that and recognize that. Okay. All right. So um, I, I like quotes from other writers. Don't get me wrong, and thinkers. But um, you know I'm a writer too. So sometimes it's better to quote myself, especially on the subjects that I've written about. So that really helps the show and. 
It definitely uh, helps me uh, as the host of this show right now on this particular topic. All right, so emotion like intellect is merely an element to inform writing. It was from my, uh, you know, um, Waking the Lion uh, Inside Writing book I wrote a couple years ago. It's a bunch of essays on all different forms of writing. And these are some of the things I learned along the way in the last 37 years of writing is that to have emotion get the best of you in life is going to happen. And sometimes it's not really in a way for you to control that for a moment or for something that occurs, maybe some kind of traumatic element or some kind of traumatic incident, fine. But when we're talking about writing, we're supposed to have control because we're supposed to be the master of that paper, you know, the real governor of the pen there. So when you're putting out 57,000 pieces of you know, he broke my heart. Well, we kind of figured after the fifth poem about that subject that, you know, you have really lost control. This is not good. Okay? Losing control in writing is a bad thing. Okay? It's not a good thing. Because writing is ultimately about forming words into a structure. Eventually becomes a meeting that sort of like connects to people. That all is done through control. Now... Anyone who's read, listened to the show will know that, uh, you know, my rule is that, you know, I'm operating within the standards. I don't really uh, consider the exceptions too much, okay? Those are not, you know, we, we deal with the rules of the way things work, not the exceptions. So, yeah, you're going to have some exceptions to what I'm talking about, but big deal. More times than not, you're, you're, you're exercising control. And one of the ways you're exercising control is when you're rewriting something. Because that means that you have control over something. You've recognized that something has gone wrong or something needs to be improved. And you're going over there and you're doing that. When you have an emotion, you're like, ah, oh, I got all that out of me. I hate this guy and he broke my heart in 87 pieces and I only have enough crazy glue to put together 85 of them. I got two stragglers, okay? Yeah, that's not control, okay? That's, that's silliness. We all deserve our moments as humans to be silly and have silly moments, okay? But as writers... We need to try to learn to be a little bit more than that because we won't be able to successfully get our writing across to anyone, you know, if we're just sounding like that, you know, the blabbering idiot in the subway when we're trying to get to our next stop. OK. All right. Next emotion when used as a foundation of writing leaves the grace of art for the gut of propaganda and the writing sinks to a soapbox preacher when Ten minutes ago, you were a passionate poet. So that that's also uh, an important uh, quote from from one of my works. And what I was trying to talk about there, which I'm hoping is pretty evident, is that you could begin a piece as a as a passionate poet with a plan, even, and then you know, in the middle or end of it, just gone gone hog wild with uh, you know, um, or the motion or the course of the day or. Maybe something else that's on your heart or, or your soul that interrupts this piece. It certainly doesn't inform it. And the next thing you know, you went from a, a poet 10 minutes ago and now you're, you know, you're, you're, you're a blabbering idiot and you're not going to get anywhere. You might have just literally wasted the time you put aside for writing because, you know, and sometimes that does happen. That happens because of uh, emotional overflow and, you know, that's, that's when we run out of, con you know, we're just out of control. 
And then, of course, you got the uh, the writer's block, which I always call the emotional constipation when you're kind of blocked out from that. So as you can see, the two extremes are not helpful. Too much emotion ruins writing. Too little emotion. You sound like some academic robot who wants to tell everybody in the world, look, my grammar is so great. Yeah, that's great. But you don't have any heart and you don't have any soul. You know, and my vacuum robot has more passion than you. So don't be too impressed with the grammar. We're going to have a grammar show, actually, by the way, in the, in the, in the weeks ahead. And uh, it'll be a fun way to smack some grammar Nazis in the head and put things, these things in perspective, okay, about where we have license, where we don't, and where we not should not be cowered by, by somebody uh, who has, uh, you know, a year more college than we do, and, and somehow they're, they're experts. Now, I put these into different sections, and mainly because I like to do that for the shows because that sort of thing is a little easier for people to break down. They can go back to it maybe and, and, and you know see if that kind of you know, rings a bell for them or it's something that they relate to. Maybe it's something they're involved in. Hey, maybe I need to listen to that again. It's easier that way than just having one, you know, hour show where I'm just simply, you know, talking on through things. And, you know, to me, that's a little bit more professorial than I don't want to be. I, this is not one of those lecture halls at your college where, you know, the guy speaks for an hour and we're giving him $100,000 a year. Better take notes because I'm going to the cafe to date probably somebody 40 years younger than I am. Have a good day. And we're not doing that, okay? That's just, to me, that's that, that, that's not actually learning in my opinion. That's just... To me, that's just lazy stupidness. We're not going to be doing that. Breaking things down on the show always makes the ultimate sense because the show is about trying to teach somebody something, okay? And, and you're not going to learn anything if you don't have some segments to it that sort of makes sense and maybe also help you with the whole, you know, mental digestion of this. So this is part of why I do this. And, uh, heck, if you're one of those emotional people that kind of go off now and then, you, you probably will appreciate this a little bit better too because I might be speaking to you. Oops. All right. So let's start the first one. Okay. And this is the one I see the, 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 the greatest. Okay. It's what I call the false validation. And, and we, we've seen this before in, in the past when we didn't have an internet or a social media. When it was really just about um, getting published in a whole bunch of anthologies and just being happy with that. And could, because in the end... Your chances of getting rejected for an anthology are small because they're trying to make a profit and, you know, they're trying to push the project through and make some money. And unless you were completely horrible, you were going to get picked up. So, you know, your rejection chances were low and you felt better about that. But one of the problems with any kind of false validation, particularly these days now when it's partially uh, the Internet or, or the Facebook or other, other social medias is, is that, whether the person means it or not, whether it's a design or an accident, it's really about avoiding rejection because that's what's actually happening, okay? And you can't, I mean, everybody knows that I'm not exactly old school on lots of subjects about things. I like to have some room. I like to play with some gray area. I mean, hell, how the hell can you not be creative if you're a creative person? So that's what I say on that. But there are certain things that you can't mess up on. And I, I feel that you can't mess up on trying to be a, a writer, but then trying to avoid rejection. It, I mean, it's like running into a, a thunderstorm and you think if you could zigzag enough, you can dodge in between those raindrops and not get wet 
until you get over to the other side where there's a drugstore and you can buy an ice cream sandwich and, you know, look at the girl across the street who you're probably never ever going to be able to date, okay? It's not a good idea because writers need rejection. I, I know that might sound harsh and that might even sound controversial. God, we don't want to have that on this show, okay? But we need it. Uh, the the, uh, the kicks and the cuts and the blows, they help strengthen us as writers. They help give us some more perspective about the world. Even when someone's not even telling you why they didn't reject it, which I, I, I don't really like, so don't get me wrong about that. That's only To me, it's more sucky when someone doesn't tell you why they're rejecting you than the rejection itself. Because you're going to expect some. But to now tell you, to me, it's like a, a double injury. And I don't do that in my place. Aerial chart. And I wish more uh, more journal, more uh, editors would simply say something. It's not like they're that busy. Don't believe them that they are because they're not. I'm busy. Uh, they're not. Okay? I have like a hundred different things going on at the same time. You know, they got they got one like one literary thing. Come on. You can't say a couple decent words to people? Please. But false validation. It's the, the first big segment on this show. It's, to me, a very bad idea. Uh, oftentimes, the way it's used, what I... And, and this, is my, this is my opinion, okay? But every so often, someone puts a poem on the Facebook and they want to test run something or check something out. I don't, I don't really have an objection to that. I've never put anything on, on the internet that didn't have a link because it was published somewhere. I've never once put anything on Facebook or the internet that didn't have that. I just, to me, I've never felt comfortable with it because it never felt valid to me. Okay? I mean, way before this show or this show or anything else. It just, that's me. Okay? But I, I accept it once in a while when people do that. What, what I do have a real issue is, is when it's done on such a regular basis because it's obvious then that it's, it's just clamoring for attention. You're getting a bunch of likes. And, and I'm sorry to say, folks, that if you know anything about putting a book out after a while and you're hoping to go back to these so-called followers with all these wonderful likes, you, you're not going to translate it into sales very much. You count the sales and you're not going to be happy with the numbers because you already know the numbers of the likes and you know all the numbers of the followers. You're going to learn the numbers of your sales and they're not going to be anything close to, to each other. It would, I would love that would be the case. I'd love that you be the... The single example that it happened to, but I haven't single, I haven't found anyone yet that has. And the ones that they say they have, I don't even believe them, because they they, they they talk in crazy nonsense. All right, you don't have twenty thousand followers and twenty thousand sales. Nobody does. Okay, not even celebrities. So it's a bad idea just for that, because uh, here's a number of artistic slash literary reasons. Okay. Reason number one, you're almost never going to get any kind of decent feedback from these folks, okay? Now, don't get me wrong. I understand that there's editors out there that don't get you any feedback at all. So maybe you feel something is better than nothing. But there's cases where nothing is just better because you're going to have some Joe Schmo say, uh, yeah, I, I like the way that third line was smooth and yeah, what, what an incredible jolt to my system. I mean, this is not exactly literary commentary. This is not social uh, criticism. This is just—it's just malarkey, and you, you can't use it for anything, really. You—you uh, you really can't. If you don't want to embark on having a real serious writing projection out there, having some sort of career doing it, 
and not necessarily mean a career that you're making a, a living. Not everybody can do that, but just a career that you're you're doing it and you're taking it seriously. You want to put books out, you know, etc. You, you can't use any of that. You simply can't. And what do you say to that? Yeah, thanks for that. Uh, that that piece of crappy uh, a- advice uh, slash uh, positive feeling. Appreciate that. I mean, it's it's it just make no sense. Okay, so that's that's the first reason. All right, the second reason. Okay, is you don't know these people from 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 Adam. Okay, and, and next time they're just trying to have dialogues with you. And, and uh, do you know about this? Can you do this? Can you do that? I mean, your job is supposed to be getting out there to get published. Okay, do they know about a market you should get published in, other than they're asking you questions like you know what's going on? If you're doing this on a regular basis, it's a bad idea. You're not going to be able to t- be taken seriously. And that's the third thing we need to talk about that. Being taken seriously. Okay? It's much harder to go magazines and try to get things done when you haven't done enough to try to really examine your writing or examine your own purpose or examine your goals because you haven't done any examining. You're too busy getting praised by strangers that don't know anything. How are you going to be able to test run anything when you're hearing comments like that? You You get 50, 60 of them. Nice job. Great work. Really moved me. I mean, really. This isn't going to help you. And then you're going to like try to uh, submit a couple of magazines if you ever want to actually get that far to do that. And then you're going to be very disappointed when you, you don't hear anything or you get rejected or maybe even somebody actually says something about your writing. And you're like, how is that not possible? I just had 59 people on... On Facebook, uh, neckbook, butt book, and you know, testicle book, tell me that uh, I'm I'm pretty awesome. That's the problem. I mean, so if you want to do this in a serious way, well, you have to actually live in the real world. And I'm sorry to say that uh, Facebook and most of the social media on some of these things are not the real world. Okay, they're simply not. Mainly because you're going to have a lot of people over there. They don't know much about writing. So they're not exactly helping to inform you. You know. Now. I, I love for somebody who does this. To simply talk to every one of those people privately with Messenger. And say hey. You mind if I have your actual name and, and email address. Because when I put a project out. I'm really going to count on you to uh, you know to buy it. Because uh, you know last six months right now. I got like 68 likes from you. And some incredible commentary. See how well that list goes, okay? Because then you'll understand what the real world's about. Because if you don't want to understand it by submitting to actual literary publications, try that and see how well that works. So it's really important to not get stuck in this false validation where you're deluding yourself because you don't really help yourself you don't help your writing, okay? But it's great to be so emotional in these sort of things that you forget that too much of that is not a good thing. And those folks are not going to inform you about that because they're not understanding literature. They're not viewing it or reading it in that way from an editing standpoint. You know, they're just reacting to it. And I know lots of people think that writing is about getting a reaction from somebody. And at its basic level, it is. But what kind of reaction are you looking for? You know, running out in the streets, you know, blowing up a house, you know, punching their sister in the face. 
uh, crying their, out, their eyes for three hours on, on something you you just wrote? Did that inform them of anything? It maybe make them do something, but, you know, part of us as writers is also to help to inform. So, you know, getting getting schlocky reactions and knee-jerk things, you know, it's not that difficult to do. You don't even have to be the best writer to do so. That's one of the problems with emotion is it's so easy derived and so easily delivered, but it doesn't necessarily ring true. It doesn't always necessarily ring in any kind of literary sense. So in, in many ways, you're harming the work that you're doing by investing too much of it into it because it'll go off track really fast. All emotions do. That's why they're emotions. That's why they're not logical. Emotions don't travel in a straight line. They'll go all over the place. That's called emotion. But remember, as writers and as writing, we're supposed to have some kind of control. That's where organization comes in. That's where discipline comes in. Those two things are not going to allow emotion to get that far. So if you actually put those into all the elements you need to be a, a writer and, and to get some successful writing done, you'll clearly see that you know emotion belongs in the group, but it can't be in charge. Okay? All right, so the next one here is what I call the confessional writing. Now, some people think that confessional writing is something similar to like writing as therapy or therapeutic writing, but they're really, they're really not the same thing at all. Confessional writing is simply uh, the most syrupy, uh, emotional. It's literally dripping all over the place. I mean, you see it on the screen and you're like... I don't know if I could touch that. I might get some of it on my hand. Can somebody give me a tissue in this place? I mean, not just for your eyes, but for your hands. So that's that's a real concern over here. Now, elements of confessional writing, and sometimes there is good pieces of confessional writing that can, if not stay close to artistic standards, at least be in the ballpark. And you're going to have some of that, and we're going to need to see some of that. Because when we want to see varied writing in a magazine, you don't want to see all one style. I mean, I couldn't do a whole magazine of confessional writing. I'd go screaming at somebody, okay? But yeah, I'd like to be able to have something like that in there. We, we, we need it. So don't get me wrong. Just like any kind of emotional type of writing, it still has a, a, still has a purpose. But again, you don't want to get to the point where this is all you're doing. What do you do? I, uh, I'm a confessional poet. I mean, because how much of you are there that you can continue to write that we're going to be fascinated with, you know? Uh, poem number 78. Uh, the boil on my butt that broke when I was at church. I mean, you're going to run out of things to say that's going to be interesting. And that's not really going to be helpful to anyone, you know? I don't know anybody that's that fascinating, okay? So you want to keep it short. You want to keep it uh, sparse. But you want to keep it in the mix of things because that's how you mix things up. You know, you're going to have that confessional piece in there. You're going to have that some emotional piece in there sometime. Fine. Just don't go overboard with that. Okay? All right. I wrote a couple of notes on it too that I wanted to mention about this. Okay. Yeah. Sometimes confessional writing is, in many ways, and appears to be therapeutic, but it's not because it often... It either rehashes some traumatic moment in the past or, or, or maybe even sort of beats it to death, you know, and that's not that's not really therapy because therapy is about trying to get out of trauma to a better place. 
it's not about staying in it forever, thinking that somehow that's some kind of beneficial positive thing, because it's not. Trauma is trauma, and you want to get away from it. I don't mean by denying it. I don't mean by running away from it. I mean by getting away from it, by starting to understand how it occurred and how you could sort of unwind yourself out of that. You're always going to have some damage from it. That's not going to go away, no matter what you do. But some of the damage and some of the pain that comes with it that can complicate your life in the future, you can mitigate that with therapeutic writing and, 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 and therapy in general. Okay? You can't really do it with confessional writing, you know? Yeah, I, I shot the guy uh, from uh, 700 yards with my gun, and uh, I kind of like laughed about it. I had a candy bar, but the last couple of years, it's really bothering me. So uh, let me rehearse uh, how I shot him again for you in this poem 400 times. I mean, that that's if you hear that, it makes no sense because confessional writing can sometimes be uh, a constant reliving of something, and that's never always the best thing. If it has to be a partial reliving in order to get to a, a positive place in the piece or, or to, to relate some important uh, lesson or instruction or direction or just just important moment that you feel should be out there, well, that's one thing. But it's another thing when it just seems like you're being you know, um, self-abusive. And, and that's where sometimes confessional writing can go. When it goes to that, that length, that's, that's really what it's doing. You're beating yourself up. On a regular basis. Nothing ever healthy about that. Okay. So there is something there. Where false validation. The subset before this. It's about you not being healthy. On a literary level. By doing that doing that sort of thing. Confessional writing. You, you, you literally can hurt yourself. Emotionally or even psychologically. Because you're not even in the literary world. Anymore if you're doing this on a regular basis. You, you, you're going to ruin what you're doing anyway. But then you're gonna hurt yourself as well. So, you know, it, it could be it could be double damaging. You gotta you gotta keep that to a, a minimum, and you gotta be able to exercise your own control over it with with discipline and organization. Because then you can turn something that would have been a blatant confessional piece into something that might actually have, you know, merit and a positive direction, and that's something that's not spending, you know, uh, twenty minutes uh, beating yourself up over. All right, so the next one here is, and I wrote a book on this, Writing as Therapy. That's what we're talking about now, okay? Writing as Therapy. Now, the gigantic difference between that and confessional writing is it's already trying to be an artistic piece, oftentimes in a non-fictional way, but some people use fiction to couch it as well, too, and that's fine, okay? Especially in the short fiction, you know, kind of basis. But... The whole goal there, and there's actually some organization and some planning, heck, there's even some discipline involved in there, is they're trying to hash out some things about themselves and maybe about things that they observed in society or in other people to be able to put together their own sort of therapy or maybe their own sort of uh, you know, relief from, uh, from psychological angst or, or emotional anxiety. And, and ways to do it with writing that not only are, are recommended and that do work, but also ways that you can do it in a way that, that's non-medicated. Because there's nothing worse, in my opinion, to have to couple therapy and, and, and to try to figure out things about yourself that you need to get done so that you can have a good relationship you know, with your, with your family and with the, with the world outside. 
but that have to be going around using drugs all the time. And I don't mean the illegal ones, but even the legal ones aren't that helpful. I mean, quite frankly, the psychological and the psychotropic and the psychedelic, all, all, all of these type of drugs that the, that psychologists and psychiatrists have, they really should be reserved for the people that have the most extreme sort of damage and the most extreme sort of situations where they, they, they proven to, to work. But I, I find that the person that has a, a moderate to a low level of, of needing therapy, whether it's post-stress from the military or trauma accidents or whatever, they don't have to use drugs. They can use exercise and they can use meditation and they can use yoga and they can use talking to other people in a group setting. They can use writing therapy as a way for themselves to privately access certain things and try to get those out. Some of those they keep in their paperwork and their journals forever and others they might be able to convert this into pieces they can let out into the world. Maybe get themselves some validation or get themselves some, you know, some some positive feelings like they, they had some kind of a victory over over something that they're working on. That can be used and, and that's that's important. You can see the big difference in that versus something confessional because it's confessional is really about hurting yourself more where writing is therapy is about helping yourself. And you'll, you'll see that, um, especially in my book, uh, Writing Therapy, we talk about this, that you can explore inner conflicts, okay, and, and maybe create methods to find you know, a better way to live, a better way to cope with the world. Anyone that knows anything about serving in the military, uh, especially if you're in, you're in conflict uh, for any longer time, um, no matter how normal that person might seem, something changes in you. And when you come back to the society, you're, you're a different person. Doesn't always mean some Hollywood different person where, you know, three days later you're going to smack your wife, grab a gun and shoot the world or something. You know, like they have us do on every other show. You know, the horrible stereotype. But the changed person means that in many ways you have matured in, in ways uh, that you never would have expected. And you're going to see the world in a different way. You, you might actually, you know, sort of feel like a cop in the way that, you know, you're always looking Hoping for something better, but you're always looking to see if something bad's going to come along because that's that's what happens. It just sort of does taint your view a little bit. Now, that doesn't mean you, you can't recover from this in the sense that this is how you're always going to be. You're always going to have some cloud over you, but the change is real and it is permanent. It's just that its effects is what you want to manage and, and sometimes even roll back and you could do so. But yeah, there, there is change in that. There is change in most most professions where they have to deal with people in traumatic ways, uh, nurses and, and doctors to a certain extent, you know, I, I, I never like people when they say, you know, he didn't have much of a bedside manner. I mean, who gives a crap? His job is to have little as motion as possible so he can see what the hell's going on and get you fixed up or maybe even save your life. Okay. You want that? You want some dude that wants to crack jokes, you know, and talk funny stuff. And then, you know, yeah, I think this pill will work. Have a good day. I mean, that's what you want? Or you want somebody that, you know, they're not there to be your friend. They're not supposed to be holding your hand. Their job on a clinical basis is to figure out what the hell's wrong with you and help you get it fixed. That's it. It's just like a, it's like a biological mechanic. That's what a doctor is. We shouldn't expect anything more. You know, we got too many of these TV shows making it like they're all supposed to be 
half priest, half lecturer, half social counselor, half a, a social activist, uh, you know, half, uh, you know, uh, your mother-in-law, half uh, your girlfriend. I mean, it's it's ridiculous. Okay, it's probably too many halves. I know my math. Sorry, but you catch what I'm saying. I probably should have said part this, part that, but no, they're not supposed to be any of that. And and quite frankly, I would be worried if I had a doctor that was like that. I'm like, get away from me. Let's figure out what's going on with this thing, and I want to get the hell out of here, okay? Because I, I don't need your arm up my butt. Uh, I don't need to be taking pills all day. And I, and I like to go out there and write something and not hang out in your boring office reading fishing magazines, okay? Period. So I'm not exactly Mr. Emotional on this thing either. I just want to get this thing done and get the hell out of there. So which, that's what she expect. But writing doesn't need to be void of emotion. So that's nearly not what the show is about. It's about the turbulence of emotion that can mess the whole writing process up. And maybe not even mess it up. Sometimes this shirt circling it from ever starting again. You know? I had someone one time share something with me. They're like, did this screw up my writing? And I, I'm sorry. I had to say, listen, it didn't screw up your writing because you haven't done any writing. I don't know what this is, but this is not writing. So you don't have to worry about your writing being screwed up. You haven't got to that part yet. You haven't actually wrote anything. It's just a bunch of craziness. Makes no sense. That's what emotion can do. It kind of ruins if we let it get out of control, like anything else. We got to have some kind of a rain on it. You know, we call it a faucet or call it a mouse that you can click or a joystick or whatever. We, we have all those things in our lives and the equipment that we use. And we have all those things for a reason. They're not there to short circuit our freedom of expression or, or to stop our fun or, you know, just to ruin the party. They're there because they kind of help us find some sort of safety gauge so that we don't ourselves get out of control, overwrite, over-emote. I think emote is a word. Yeah, I like it, though, in this case. Uh, and, and and just simply overdo things that, that if you don't catch it in the rewriting process, and sometimes the problem with emotion is is it makes, it, 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 really, it really falsely puts us in, in the wrong kind of security position because I find when people are more, portion, more, more emotional about their writing, they seem to be, just simply less objective about its worth and its value, especially when they're telling me they haven't even done anything yet to rewrite it. No, I like the power in this. Yeah, that's great, but um, you know, it sucks. I mean, but it has some power. Yeah, thanks. Rewriting is what's going to make it better, and if rewriting actually might make it into writing, because right now it's just a bunch of powerful statements. Great, we got people using powerful statements all the time on. Social media and the internet and and, and TV and everything else. Uh, most of them don't mean crap. Don't do anything to change the world. They sound like an idiot, you know. It's like that uh, that girl over there, that teenage girl running around the world, uh, making powerful statements about the environment. But she hasn't yet said anything new yet that's going to solve anything. She's simply just copying what everybody else has already told her to said or what we could have read already. So, I don't know if she's coming back in 2020 and that, but here's my advice for you, young lady. Please have something that we could use then, okay? Because I'll listen to you if you're going to tell me something that we can actually do that makes sense in society to try to get to some of the goals you're talking about, 
I don't have any problem with that. But if you're just going to parrot the same stuff everybody else is talking about, and none of that stuff's going to work, okay? Destroy your economy. Uh, no, nobody has any jobs, so the owls can live and, and talk to their, their owl friends. And, uh, you know, um, just believe that the climate is going to change without any real scientific evidence. I mean, this is not helpful, okay? You got to have something real, all right? It's no different, folks. We have to be real. We have to write something that's real. And we have to also make sure that in the end, what we're doing rings true. Not only to the people that we're speaking to and we're trying to connect to. Remember, it's really important that it rings true to us. Okay? Because we could all talk all day long about how writing is so important for me to make a connection to somebody else. So don't worry about it if it doesn't mean anything to me. It has to mean something to the guy next door. Uh, no, it doesn't always. You can't always write something for the guy next door or the girl you lost or, you know, the alien you haven't met yet or, you know, the teenage girl that has no idea about environmental control but she just wants to talk all day about it. That's not going to do any good because if it doesn't ring true to you, you're not really going to accomplish anything. You're going to eventually feel hollowed out by that. Some things have to be just for you. And they have to ring true just for you. And sometimes you're throwing out there a gamble that it's going to connect and maybe ring with somebody else. Maybe it won't. Maybe, maybe that's fine. You know, but as long as you can balance it with enough intellect, enough artistic, you know, swagger there, along with a, a good dose of, of emotion, that's really the kind of elements that you have to put together. It becomes like a, a basic formula to help put something together that's real. That you know makes sense to you at the end of the day. That you know that maybe you could read three or four months later and go, yeah, I got that, man. I don't know why nobody else does, but I got that. There's nothing wrong with that. You're going to have those pieces. Some of these things you need to do. I, I, I have the feel that sometimes we need to do it just for ourselves. For our own uh, humanness and our own humanity and our own you know, sanity, if you want to call it. That we have to write things like that. That maybe just don't connect with anybody else. And, and that's fine too. I happen to think it, it's important in the end. To do something like that. Because. In the very end of, of all writing. Okay. There is something in it. If it's not the whole 100% of the piece. If it's not even uh, more than a line. Something about us. As individuals. Has to be part of the signature of, the, of that piece. Almost like we're putting in our spiritual fingerprint on it. Something that we say. Yeah that's mine. That's what I'm saying out to the world. That's my word. That's my message. That's my, my thought. That's my feeling. That's my dream. We need to also make sure that. Whatever we're doing. Has something like that. There's going to be times where. The whole piece has that. And maybe that's when you've become super successful on on on, on the artistic level of, of doing that there's gonna be playing times when it does it it only has a part of it you know I always uh, laugh to myself and I go yeah this is a piece where it's like 75% art and like 25% mark <laughs> you're gonna have that you know you know and and I, I don't mock myself about it and I certainly don't mourn about it but that's what's gonna happen sometimes sometimes art's gonna win over you and that's fine. And there's other times when you have to win over art just to make sure, hey, art, I love you. I respect you. I know you're in the room with me, but um, it's time for me to drive, okay? Yeah. 
So get in the back seat. Don't make me have to smack you, okay? All right. And you got to do that sometimes. That's where you have to have some discipline to not let it go too far. Because just like emotion can go too far and, and damage the writing and even damage your own thought frame on getting things done. You know, you can also get organized yourself to death and that's not helpful or get so, so disciplined. No, can't have any human feeling in this thing. But my grammar is just too great. I don't want to ruin it. Remember, we don't want to like grammatize ourselves to death. Okay. I'm sure there's a lot of good grammar in the Arctic, but I don't want to go over there and, and freeze my butt off with penguins. Okay. Because they're made for that. We're, we're not. Okay. Just like as writers, we're not made for perfect grammar and that everything has to be perfect. I can't wait to have the show on that because you not believe how far I'm going to go with it. It's going to be a lot of fun. Believe me, I'll tell you that now because it's kind of getting on my nerves to, to hear all this stuff. And then I listen to the people say this and then I, then I read their writing and go, really? That's what you were talking about? That? Are you kidding me? Huh? Oh, my Lord. You know? I just stepped on a bug in my uh, backyard yesterday that had more life in it than this poem. So let's not get ridiculous with this. Now, the last segment for this is your, your basic emotions that you're going to get from, from, the, from the daily life, okay? Because once you have a general control of emotion, and I don't think that everybody has 100% control, and I'm not going to preach that or expect that because... That's silly. But once you have a general control over it and you have a, a, a decent balanced measure of organization and, and discipline, you're just going to have those days or weeks where, you know, this thing seem out of control. And you, you're hoping that you could sit down and maybe, maybe writing or maybe editing or maybe just, you know, designing a piece of art or anything artistic can help you get out of that funk, you know? If you know anything you know about having a stomach bug for a few days and throwing up and then losing your voice, I mean, it's just a, it's a horrible affair because you can't concentrate too much on anything. Kind of hard to uh, think about any kind of writing, you know, when you're throwing up on a regular basis and your stomach is empty and your ribs hurt from all the, you know, convention and vomiting. And then, of course, you lose your voice, you know. I make my living with my voice and I do this show with it with my voice. So when I lose my voice, it surely pisses me off. I mean, if you heard a couple of episodes ago, I said to hell with it. I mean, my voice is just good enough. I'm going to get back in over here, do my best to, you know, modulate it with the equipment we have. And that's it. Oh, well, can't always be 100 percent, but I want to be there 100 percent. And that sucks when you have the health because it kind of ruins a lot of things for you. And not to mention the time it you know, it takes away. And of course, we're going to have those, you know, relationship bumps now and then. We're going to have a, you know, um, if we know anything about uh, having a having a car, you know, uh, give you a, a mechanical problem and you, you don't know how reliable it is and you need to get things done and now you got to go to get fixed. And, you know, even if it's normally expensive, it's still annoying as heck. Try to navigate all of that and it doesn't put you in the, in the right mood for anything. Um I know that there's a number of people out there, and I've talked to some of those folks already, um, you know, chatted with them and sometimes spoke with them that, you know, they're dealing with autistic children or, or they're dealing with uh, relatives that, you know, have have handicaps that they have to really help with. And sometimes those people don't always have their best days. 
uh, I know uh, we've had a number of, of writers here that um, they're dealing with, uh, you know, elderly uh, relatives or, or possibly grandparents or even parents, you know, who are also going to have those days that are not so great or not. It's really hard, you know, for a person to want to be and to continue to do writing when they got to deal with, uh, you know, a husband or a spouse and they got to deal with a full time job and then kids that are acting nutty and don't seem to recognize that there's a, there's a world, you know, beyond them. And then, of course, you got to deal with, uh, you know, a, 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 a sickly, regularly sickly uh, relative that they're not always going to be in the best of, of spirits. And, and sometimes their their own depression or their own negativity about things, you know, it rubs off on you, whether you like it or not. And you feel guilty about that. God, you know, I wish that wouldn't rub off on me. It's bad enough that she's sick, but I mean, that's just us being human. We're not going to be perfect in this situation. And I don't know what perfect human being is going to say. Yeah, it's okay for my mom to always want to feel like she wants to die and then rub that off on me because I got it. I understand. Who the hell understands? I'm not 92. I don't understand any of that. Okay. I know what goes on. I hear people talk about it. I read things about it. So not hard to figure out how that works. And I can imagine how, how hard that is for a person to take that kind of emotional turbulence and then still figure out, well, how do I distill all of that that's just happened to me and maybe in the last couple of days and still write something that's going to be thrilling or interesting or or, or not sound like I, I just want to jump in a, you know, in, in a pool someplace with a, with a scuba suit on and just dive away for a few hours away from people. Even though I think those tanks are only good for 45 minutes, so maybe you can't do a few hours. But, you know, if we're talking about it just on the fiction sense, yeah, it'd be nice to go down in the ocean, not have the, the bends and be out down there for three hours, you know, uh, rather than sometimes the, up, the outside world up there, which is sometimes can be very rough and, and certainly unforgiving. So, yeah, how do you deal with that emotion in the daily life? It's really when you have to rely the most on... Other things to help balance you because organization and, and discipline can only go so far when you're so topsy turvy on that kind of emotional basis. I, I've found more times than not, you know, running a couple miles uh, because you, you, you're wearing out your body, and oftentimes you, when you're wearing out your body, you, your mind has to do things to, you know, to, to counteract for that, and that takes that literally takes those things off your mind. Most people don't run and think about their, their sick mother or their ungrateful kids or their, you know, pain in the ass spouse or something like that. They're thinking, uh, you know, oh, wow, I'm tired. Wow, my lungs are filled with air. Wow, um, you know, I hope this car doesn't hit me when I'm running and hope I don't slip on this ice or hope that guy's dog doesn't bite me in the butt when I'm trying to run because I'm going to be real pissed. You know, and maybe all those things are better than some of the other things you're thinking of before because taking yourself out of that bad equation it's what helps you get back to the good equation to sit down after uh, maybe an hour or two of, uh, you know, decompressing, taking a nice shower, maybe throwing some tea into you or something. You can just say, Whew, okay, let me write about this thing that I want to write about. So those things, things of the daily life, to me, those are the most, those are the most challenging because you have to do a lot more than try to be more literary to stop some kind of a, a temporary emotional thing. Sometimes you have to simply go out of the go out of the literary to find some solace long enough for you to get back to, you know, getting some kind of balance. It's not going to be a perfect solution, you know. Um, I don't know about you. Uh, I never found alcohol to be helpful. You know, I know I know 
uh, all the myths and, and the tales of all these supposed writers that drank themselves into great novels and blah, blah, blah. But, you know, most of that's baloney. Just made up by, you know, either detractors who didn't like him or, crazily enough, fans who thought they were some kind of superhuman people that they could do all that. But, you know, alcohol is a depressant. Alcohol is a distraction. And, and too much of it, and you're not doing anything creative, okay? After a while, you can't even edit you know, you can edit with a drink or two, but after a while, after that, you can't even edit. So, most of those people from Edgar Allan Poe on up, they simply had enough discipline to do what they had to do, and then got trashed. That's pretty much what they did. In fact, uh, Poe mentioned that in his letters a few times. So, <laughs> he understood that. And and many of the other writers, uh, Jack London, Ernest Hemingway, I can continue going down the list, had the same situation. You know, where that, that's what they did. So, you know, they might not have had enough uh, discipline to stop drinking as being a big part of their lives. They just had enough discipline to stop it long enough to get the damn writing done. And then let's go back to being the old man in the sea and, you know, taking a pee in the ocean and hope the shark doesn't bite me in a bad place, you know, as I'm drinking five bottles, you know, almost at the same time. So it's good in, in my way to understand that emotion of the daily life, not only is it the most challenging in, in that cruel and, and ironic way, it's sometimes where we get our best material from. I mean, I honestly don't think we get great material from the girl that broke our heart 25 years ago. I mean, really, what the hell new angle can you come up with? I like to read it because I think I've seen every angle already. I don't think there's anything left, you know? It really isn't. Other than maybe you shoot a beam on her and transport her into another galaxy. This way you know that she's no longer on Earth. That's how much you hate her. Maybe that's one. But uh, uh, there's simply not too many left. All right. But some of the greatest challenges and some of the greatest lessons and some of the, even the greatest material we get is from those emotional things that we deal with from, from daily life. Oftentimes they could be the real root of some of our stories and our poems or our novels our memoirs, our plays, our teleplays, where we can use some of that because what we've learned in those moments are some of our own weaknesses and maybe sometimes even some of our own strengths. And by being able to be included into that, into ourselves, it's almost like we needed those sort of traumatic moments to be able to break through certain things in ourselves. You know, I, I'm not saying, you know, go out there and hope your mother gets sick because her trauma is going to help you, you know, become a more creative person. But what I am saying is that I, I haven't met too many caretakers that were also creative people that didn't understand that ultimately uh, for them to help shield themselves from some of the stress and even sometimes the horror of dealing with these situations, they found some creative uh, venues and they found some creative zeniths that they didn't have before. They these found strength and, and, and gained strength in many ways and maybe even greater insight and, and possibly even a greater appreciation from health. I mean, I've known people that said, you know, after what I went through with my parent and now that she's she's gone, I, I'm, I'm pledging to quit smoking. I'm pledging to lessen my drinking, to eat better, to go exercise because I don't want to end up like that. Whether all of that works or not, to not let you end up that way, who knows? It's all a genetic gamble. We don't really know. 
But uh, it's not hard to surmise that you eat poorly for 50, 60 years, you know, you're going to have some problems with weight and, you know, circulatory system and diabetes and heart issues and, you know, no different than, you know, all the drinking, all the smoking, all that stuff too. And sometimes people are doing all three of these things. So it's not hard to figure out why, why people end up this way. So yeah, it is possible that you're reversing course and, and not let yourself go to that extent. Yeah, it could lengthen your life and make you more healthy and, and even give you a, a better view on life and maybe a better perspective on, on writing. So that's not that's not a bad way to come out of the, those sort of situations. And I would certainly encourage that because um, I've dealt with enough people and I've heard enough stories uh, in in, in uh, military uh, therapy and, and, and talking with people and, and chatting in the sector that oftentimes... Um, you know, our, our greatest prayers are not for those that were sick who, who might never get better, but for those that are taking care of the sick because they still have enormous responsibilities to deal with. They still have a spouse. They still have a household. They still have a full-time job. They still have children they have to contend with where that elderly sick person, and, and I'm not making any light any of these folks, but they don't have those sort of responsibilities anymore. Oftentimes, their spouse is no longer in the picture. And they're already retired. And their children are already gone. In fact, their children are helping them right now. And they certainly don't have those same kind of responsibilities. So, therefore, you know, you have to sometimes pray for ones that are taking care of them more than the ones that are, that are, that are sick. Because I, I often feel that they need the most help. And that's where emotional turbulence can come in into the learning process. Because when you start learning that and you start realizing that, you're going to lessen some of the guilt that you have. Because uh, unfortunately, our culture in America especially, and, and probably around the world a lot, you know, we have a lot of this, this hallmark, uh, what I call morality, or this Disney morality, where, you know, we're supposed to be stellar sons and daughters and, and you know, hand-saluting uh, spouses and Everything's thrown out of us. We, you know, we tackle, we can dodge, and and then we're perfect. This and doing this, and no, it's not going to happen that way. You're going to have days where you're supposed to be the greatest mother, uh, husband, father, sister, brother, caretaker, and writer, and you're going to find that there's days that some of those elements are going to lack. They're going to lag. There's going to be days where they all suck, and maybe you just need to have a day for yourself. You know. Maybe we need to have a, you know, a caretaker's day and put that aside. And, let the, and that's a day where we take care of the caretakers because they need some help. And, and being a writer, oftentimes, it's, it's sometimes you're feeling like you're being a caretaker of your psyche, of your, of your soul, you know, of your, of your spiritual energy, or, or quite frankly, the lack of it sometimes, um, of, of your physical well-being, and, and of course, of, of any of your future prospects, you know. I don't recall thinking about cancer when I was 22, but, you know, I'm 54 and I'll be 55 in April. So, you know, it crosses my mind even after 15 years of quitting smoking. Jeez, I hope that's not really going to come for me. I hope I was able to get away from that. I hope I was able to stop in time. I got kids that are still young. You know, I work out. I try to stay in shape and eating better and all of that. And I'm hoping that's all going to have an impact. I'm hoping I'm not going to have to. You know, worry about that, but it doesn't lessen the fact that I, I feel, you know, the onside of, uh, of arthritis in, in at least one of my hands, 
You know, I, I feel that if I don't stay active long enough, my back will start hurting. But when I do stay active, it, it doesn't hurt. You know, I can feel the, the pressure in my knees. I think I have to get a vehicle that stands up a little higher here sooner or later because the one I have that's a little sloped down to the ground, that's not working out for me at this age anymore. It works out for my, uh, probably my ego, but it ain't working for my body, you know. And I don't want to be writing checks that I can't cash with the body, okay, as much as whatever I do. So that's the realities that we have to uh, face. And when we start facing those, not only can we figure out ways to, to, uh, to navigate emotion, or, or maybe we just keep it enough under control to get what we have to get done, but also it, it'll help inform us. You know, It's really hard, I feel, to inform the world about anything when we seem to fail to inform ourselves about things, you know, I had a great, uh, uh, great laugh at Ricky, uh, <laughs> Ricky Jarvis there at the Golden Globes uh, last night. It was very funny because his shots at, at Hollywood are the things I talk about all the time, and people in general they they pontificate about all these nonsense things, and they're also involved in some of the same stupid things. So it's not a good idea to to preach on things that you're simply not practicing yourself, you know. Because it, now it needs to come back to haunt you, but it just makes lessen what you do. It makes it just lessens everything. Because who's going to take any of that stuff seriously when you have something else to say? When they remember the last four things you said were uh, ridiculous, inconsistent, and, and, and uh, partially, if not completely, untrue. And that's what we want to be able to do. If we're going to be able to talk about anything as writers, or even when we need to talk about ourselves. And no, that's not a joke. Uh, it's nothing wrong about talking about yourself. It's not a sign of mental illness. It's a good way to help understand the rhythm of your writing. It's a good way to understand if does this thing really stink? Sometimes you can hear that before anybody else can. Or sometimes you just got to speak to the speaker to somebody. Hey, check this out. I've been working on it for three weeks. What do you think? All right. And if you hear a thump and they passed out, then... You got to, you know, go on to the fifth rewrite, okay? But there's nothing wrong with any of that. Why not review yourself and test yourself and, and make sure that you're gaining as much wisdom about yourself because the more you learn about yourself, the more you can better inform the world about some of the things that, that's going on. And also, it's a good way for you to also get to the next level of, of, of exploring things in life or exploring things in art that you can really become that that most interesting writer that, that has something unusual to say versus just the same thing we've heard before, just maybe slightly differently in that variation of the theme. We want to try to be more original. And you know where the best way to be original is? Control your emotions and try to gain some insights to some of the things that's going on. Even when things that are going on are bad, you can take things from that. You can learn from the bad as well as the good. And I'm sorry to say, in, in, in life these days, you know, we're going to have probably more bad moments than good. I honestly think that people strive for the weekend and can't wait for it so, so much. Not just because it's, you know, the cessation of work. Oh, I can get a little more sleep and I don't have to rush around. But also, I, I think it's because they, they, they feel that maybe those are the days uh, they have left that they can create something good with. Because the other five days... This is a series of all kinds of bad stuff that's going to happen, you know. You know, the kid, the kid gets an F and now he's got to deal with how to recover from that. And, 
You know what I mean? Wife's not feeling well, so now you got to go take up all the duties in the household because that's what it means to be a parent. Uh, or maybe this is just one of those days when you just stink as a parent and your kids are looking at you like, who are you? <laughs> I'm like, I don't know, but I'm going to go in my other room and go find out. Okay, and I'll get back to you. So keep it in mind with emotional turbulence. We want to make sure that we have that in our writing because it is human it is part of who we are and if we don't have some kind of measure of humanity in our writing that's when we start getting academic and we start getting robotic and we start becoming you know grammar nuts and that doesn't really help anybody we just want to make sure like anything else we don't overdo it you know it, it's like that 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 diet that says uh, yeah, you can have two of these sugar-free cookies along with the, the meal that you just prepared. And then you're like, oh, yeah, mm-hmm, yeah, right. I'm going to have like like 14 of them, okay? Yeah. Uh, now your stomach is bloated. Uh, you know, that whole uh, sugar-free element in there. It's kind of getting out of your system. You're feeling weird as heck. What's wrong, man? Are you having a problem with that diet? Uh, no, I'm having a problem with the 12 additional cookies I ate. Um, I feel like... I should go to the bathroom, but it could be a day away. But I still feel that way. Yeah, that's what it is about going out of control or by taking something for granted or, or taking liberty on something that we shouldn't. And that's really what emotion is about on this show and for this topic and for writing. It's about not taking a liberty with it that we go so far that we forget the writing and we forget the art we, we forget the words because we're too caught up in you know the anger of the moment or maybe even the the, the abundantly joy of the moment you know but I, I always feel that joy is a lot like anger in my in my opinion a little too much of it and, and you, you get blind to things I mean how joyful can you be before you you have to look on the road so you don't crash and how angry can you be before the same thing will happen so these extremes we have to be able to figure out how to stay away from the best we can if we're going to be uh, if we're going to be writers uh, of any kind of merit of any kind of salt. All right, folks. Un- until next time, I, I bid you a-, a good evening and and God bless. Strength to be human. This is Mark Anthony Rossi. Thank you for listening. Follow the show and support our efforts by purchasing an ebook at Soma Publishing, www.somapublishing.com.